1: Lori Lightfoot was sworn in as the first black woman and the first openly gay mayor of Chicago.
2: We will continue to build this great city and leave it better, stronger, fairer, or more prosperous than when we found it.
1: Since then, she's pledged to root out corruption, worked with three police superintendents, dealt with an 11-day teacher strike, and shut the city down due to a global pandemic. Joining us for a closer look at Mayor Lightfoot's first year in office is WBEC City Hall reporter, Claudia Morrell. Hey, Claudia. Hey. Also with us is Crane Chicago business, government and politics reporter, A.D. Quigg. Hey, A.D., welcome back. Thanks, Jen. How are you? Doing okay. So, Claudia, I'll start with you. The mayor is currently dealing with perhaps the biggest challenge of her tenure so far, the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's listen.
2: Let me say at the outset, this is not martial law by any means. Residents can still go to their grocery stores, food banks, convenience stores, and make pharmacy runs.
1: Claudia, take us back to the beginning. Uh, How did the mayor first approach this crisis?
0: Yeah, it really started back in March around St. Patrick's Day when she first canceled the parade and the annual tradition of turning the river green and uh, was at first somewhat hesitant to close down schools, Uh, because uh, originally it was thought that uh, the virus didn't have a, a large impact on kids. And then she shut the lakefront and parks down, you know, after photos were surfaced of the packed beaches. And, you know, she wasn't very happy about that. She came out really strong against people that have been throwing parties, including, you know, driving around the city and telling people to go home. And right now she has kind of been butting heads with church leaders over, you know, social distancing and pastors and religious organizations that are, you know, defying her ban on, you know, mass gatherings of over 10 people and is now talking about um, assessing fines on them.
1: Well, A.D., the mayor has been sounding the alarm about the impact of COVID-19 on the city's finances, and she says she's staring into a billion with a B dollar budget gap. Unpack that for us.
3: So we knew going back as far as last summer that this budget year was going to be difficult the city puts out regular forecasts that say here's what could happen in a good economy a medium economy and a really bad economy and even back in last june we knew that she would be dealing with probably a budget gap in excess of 900 million dollars and that is only exacerbated by COVID because of the shutdown of businesses um less consumer spending she she told us at cranes last week it'll they'll be staring down a billion dollar hole again and they have a lot fewer resources to help fill that hole last year they had some good news on tiff they had some unexpected tiff revenues they got a really good deal on a bond refinancing uh they went through with a hiring freeze and made a couple other tweaks and a lot of those aren't available again the stay-at-home shut down her uh, budget staff said this week of the chicago economy triggered by the coronavirus will cost the city hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, probably in excess of $500 million. It's a huge task, and a lot of it will depend on how much federal help uh, the city can manage to get in this next iteration of the CARES Act, and then also what what the state will do and how quickly um, the city can open up and start collecting those tax revenues it needs again.
1: Well, during the budget planning process, the mayor didn't raise property taxes significantly. There was a small bump uh, to help fund libraries. But, Claudia, she's never completely taken it off the table either. Do you think she's considering raising taxes, for example, as a way to help fill that budget gap?
0: You know, she had mentioned that uh, in her first budget uh, for 2020 that, you know, future budgets, it may be likely that she will have to go to property owners and raise property taxes and, um try and find new revenue to fill what will likely be a humongous deficit for uh, fiscal year 2021. Uh, But she also held a lot of public hearings. It was the first uh, since, I think, Mayor Daly, And people had made it clear that, you know, they did not want any more tax increases because under Mayor Rahm Emanuel, you know, he had gone pretty heavy on homeowners, you know, raising taxes on water, sewer, garbage and the property. And she had campaigned pretty hard on not balancing the budget on the backs of working class families. A lot of the budget fixes that she was able to do for 2020, you know, didn't really account for the entire economy shutting down, you know, extra fees on rideshare and taxes on eating out and congestion pricing. And so it will be interesting to see how she finds new revenue, especially since the city is very limited in what it can tax. Really, it's, you know, the property taxes, which are already pretty high, and the sales tax, which is one of the highest in the country. So it will be very likely that in order to avoid any of those taxes going even higher, that she will need to rely on some help from the federal government, the state. I think she told the Tribune recently that she hadn't ruled out, you know, one-time measures, but, you know, stopped short of saying that, you know, we won't have another parking meter fiasco.
1: Well, well, A.D., when we talk about help from the federal government to help close the budget gap, I mean, I think there's a lot of question around how likely that aid is to come through. And we know Mayor Lightfoot has gotten into it publicly with President Trump. I mean, how much can the city really rely on that?
3: It's dangerous to do so, right? But we've seen um, this isn't just the city of Chicago that needs this money. It's municipalities all over the country, not just ones where the mayor is uh, very publicly poking uh, the president in the eye. Um, Cook County has said uh, they're facing the same challenges. Counties all over are facing the same challenges. So is the state. Um, I think Democratic lawmakers will be trying to make this case over and over again, but we'll probably run up against it um, in the Senate. Uh, we have also seen, we saw in this last budget, like Claudia was talking about, um, uh, an initial reliance on Springfield uh, by Mayor Lightfoot to help plug the gap. So either Um, this casino measure which is still paused and uh, real estate transfer tax and that never came through which led to the city having to reshuffle the decks and figure out kind of a plan b budget Um, I could see that happening as well but she told us Friday I'm not taking anything off the table she has described the property tax as a last last resort and the other last last resort was furloughing city workers Um, the first thing that folks point to when the city wants to raise taxes, is the size of its government. Um, She has said, I don't want to be laying off city workers right now. I don't want to be cutting city services at a time when people need them more than ever. But it's going to be tough when, again, she's staring down that billion-dollar budget hole.
1: Well, Mayor Lightfoot recently unveiled a five-phase plan to reopen the city. Claudia, quickly walk us through that plan and where we stand today.
0: The plan came out uh, shortly after Governor J.B. Pritzker's and, you know, like his, it's divided into phases. And uh, right now we're in uh, phase two, bordering on phase three. And really, uh, a lot of it hinges on declining the rate of new cases. And it will be based on a, you know, 14 day rolling average. And then, you know, she has different benchmarks for senior homes and prisons And, you know, the goal really is to ramp up testing significantly. And so a lot of uh, the city's ability to move ahead in these phases will be to to reach her goal of testing about, you know, 4,500 residents a day.
1: Well, A.D., the mayor has been holding daily press briefings on the city's pandemic response, but she's also using social media to encourage residents to stay home and save lives. What has her leadership style been like around this pandemic?
3: A little bit of tough love mixed with imploring people. We've seen, of course, since the beginning of this, especially when the stay-at-home order went in place and the mayor was so furious at all those folks going out to the lakefront on one of the first nice days of spring, just a rash of memes, cardboard cutouts of a stern-looking lightfoot holding a folder posted in people's windows to keep them from going outside. But, of course, we're seeing restlessness not just among Chicago residents, but also Chicago business owners who are saying, you know, if we're shut down for another three, four weeks, you might not see um, a lot of us open up again. So she has been at times tough, at times imploring, but also trying to... I think the reason she gets so worked up is she believes, and rightly so, that um, things like parties and church gatherings are really putting people at risk and that people might might not be fully understanding the implication of uh, you know, asymptomatic carriers and how quickly things can spread. I remember we saw some reporting early on about a super spreader who attended um, a funeral and a couple parties and how quickly that spread to so many people. She really wants to keep this death rate down. And this is especially urgent because of how this is impacting Chicago's communities of color. Um, we've seen her expand testing sites in uh, majority black and Latino neighborhoods and kind of lay out how dire the numbers have been. Um, That's going to be a continuing challenge as the city tries to ramp up to that 4,500 tests a day so we can get closer to reopening, waging that equity battle and trying to appease businesses that want to open, people that want to go back out to the lakefront while keeping an eye on the data is going to be a constant juggling act for her.
1: But A.D., has enforcement of the stay-at-home order been made more complex because of CPD's relationship, specifically with communities of color?
3: Absolutely. I mean, we saw um, a few weekends ago Lightfoot choosing to have a a rare Saturday press conference on the west side of Chicago where she heard that there were um, party invitations out for for massive house parties, Um, and we saw some great reporting from the tribe about the folks that held that big party on the city's northwest side that... A lot of young folks in particular weren't watching the news a ton, uh, weren't paying terribly close attention to what the impact had been. And at Lightfoot's Saturday press conference where she was trying to crack down on those house parties, we saw her afterwards go walk to a, a group of kids playing basketball nearby and saying, all right, go on home, going go on home. And they're saying, you're taking this way too seriously. Uh, you go home. The enforcement, especially in those neighborhoods, has to be more difficult. This CPD has been doing thousands of stops and citations, breaking up, Parties, gatherings, um, basketball games, stuff like that. And not only is that uh, a difficult time suck and another potentially rife opportunity for contact between uh, police and communities, but it also takes cops away from summer violence that we always see begin to spike as the weather warms.
1: I wanna move on from COVID-19. Before taking office, Lightfoot served as president of the Chicago Police Board and chair of the Chicago Police Accountability Task Force. She had never held public office, but managed to win all 50 wards in the city. Claudia, talk about some of her major campaign promises and and how she was able to pull that victory off.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty remarkable uh, victory when you see the full uh, city of Chicago map uh, where I think uh, her opponent, Tony Preckwinkle, only won her ward. Lightfoot really ran on this issue of equity and inclusion, you know, addressing the lack of resources and underserved neighborhoods and saying that, you know, neighborhoods have been neglected for too long and that, you know, the downtown needs to grow with uh, the bungalow belt. And she also campaigned heavily on treating crime as a public health crisis, you know, safety in every neighborhood and that people shouldn't be living in, you know, neighborhoods that she described as war zones, addressing the mass exodus of the black community. And, you know, transparency was another big issue, you know, live streaming city council meetings and reform, 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 reform was a huge issue, especially, you know, given uh, the time when, you know, the city council's most powerful alderman was under indictment. And so she really tried to campaign on this um, idea of, you know, I'm going to bring the city together I'm not going to be like past mayors who are wheeling and dealing with aldermen on particular budget issues. And I'm going to try and bring the city together uh, and, you know, talking about uh, limiting the city's reliance on fines and fees, which, you know, she did follow up with um, when she overhauled how, you know, cities, uh, the city sticker um, tickets have been going. And and then finally, you know, fighting corruption through aldermanic prerogative, uh, i, I I recall, like that was the first thing she did right after inauguration, is signing an executive order, um, you know, scaling back the amount of power aldermen have, and that's continued to be kind of, you know, uh, a, a that's continued to cause a rift between her and um, a particular set of aldermen.
1: Well, here is Lori Lightfoot talking about aldermanic privilege.
0: This practice
2: breeds corruption. Stopping it isn't just in the city's interest. It's in the city council's interest.
1: That was from her inauguration speech. AD, where does the mayor stand on this issue now? As Claudia says, it caused some tension in city council.
3: Absolutely, and I think it will continue to uh, because it's still a work in progress, right? So she made some changes via executive order, like Claudia said, that first day when she came into office. She went straight from inauguration back to her office uh, and signed this thing to applause from uh, a few folks but again um, there are a lot of aldermen who hate this stuff Uh, she hasn't gone after the big tuna yet which is changing the zoning code Um, the thing I hear from aldermen over and over in committee meetings and gripes is that residents don't want some bureaucrat to make a decision about their community that they don't know anything about Um, they like having that veto power over certain projects or buildings of a certain size or this kind of business going here when we've got four kinds of businesses like that over there um, but that veto power like the mayor argues is also the kind of thing that ends up with sometimes patchwork rules for city zoning at best and at worst um, bribery and increased segregation we saw a lot of aldermen um, halt affordable housing developments in their wards because certain constituents uh, were the loudest about it um, now these days aldermen have less say over TIF. Uh, the sale of city property in their ward or businesses that get neighborhood opportunity fund grants. There's also now a system in place to track all Aldermanic input that officials in the planning department get. But like I said, she has not gone after that big tuna, which is um, redoing the zoning code. And given um, some of the scuffles that have happened locally over uh, General Iron, like we've seen in Lincoln Park and the Hillco development in Little Village. There are going to be a lot of aldermen saying, see, some of these things wouldn't have happened if you let me have more say over what happens in my own ward. I would have stopped. I would not have allowed that demolition to go forward or I would have stopped General Iron from operating altogether. It's going to be kind of an ongoing battle, I think.
1: Well, speaking of battles, if we wind the clock back to Mayor Lightfoot's first city council meeting, it was very clear she did not plan on being intimidated by some of the council's longest-serving members, including Alderman Ed Burke of the 40th Ward. Let's listen.
2: Alderman Burke um, is somebody who likes to test people. He likes to see if there are weaknesses, and he has attempted to do this in the past with me, and he's failed spectacularly every time.
1: Claudia, unpack what happened that first city council meeting.
0: Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. I
1: remember it was a very
0: short meeting, about 90 minutes, and to put it in perspective, um, you know, Ed Burke is a rare breed of Chicago politics. Uh, you know, he's the longest-serving alderman on the City Council, been there since 1969, you know, once the most powerful head of the Finance Committee, so he essentially controlled, you know, where city dollars went. And so during that first meeting, he tried this weird power move, you know, getting in the weeds about um, some legal issues with the the rules of order. It had to do with, like, pronouns of he and her. And, you know, she was just like, you know, we're not going to have this right now. You know, this was her putting on her prosecutor hat. It was even more remarkable because Ed Burke himself also has this kind of Perry Mason character that he likes to play in the city council. And she said that, you know, it it was Game of Thrones-like. And that, you know, she was not going to deal with him and was not going to have a repeat of what happened with Harold Washington. Because remember, Ed Burke was, you know, one of the leaders in the Verdoli Act 29, who essentially uh, blocked everything Harold Washington tried to do. And so she also at the same time said that, you know, she didn't want to make it about race but that she was going to put him in his place. And so that meeting was also when, you know, she removed him from finance committee. And, you know, after she shut him down, you know, he never really challenged her again in front of everyone. And so now it's other aldermen that are kind of, you know, picking up where he left off.
1: Well, the mayor also faced off against the powerful Chicago Teachers Union last year. Negotiations between the city and the union fell through, leading to an 11-day strike. Let's take a listen
2: enough is enough there is no further excuse to keep our kids out of school beyond what we put on the table there is simply
1: no more money ady quickly remind us how this story unfolded
3: right this was an 11-day strike that you know ultimately turned out to be a win for both sides but had a lot of close calls where we thought it might be over and then it escalated we thought it might be over then it escalated um we also had national figures uh, ruling with CTU. Uh, we had Bernie Sanders coming to town to rally with the union. We had Elizabeth Warren coming to town to rally with the union. Uh, several Democratic Democratic presidential candidates sounding off on Twitter saying, you know, I support the CTU. Um, but a lot of things that both sides said they wanted were things um, that came to fruition. More um, nursing staffing, more social workers, smaller class sizes. But this was a battle with a lot of strong-willed people in that room. Lori Lightfoot, Um, Jesse Sharkey and uh, Union Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates it's clear that even though it's ended both sides are still pretty missed and take opportunities to go after each other Um, this is already flaring up in discussions about reopening Lightfoot said she did not want to open up the CTU contract um, to figure out ways to make class sizes smaller to increase nursing staffing to basically um, undo a lot of the unpopular contracts that uh, CTU has been railing against with uh, janitorial services that clean the schools. Um, CTU says they need to staff up faster, and Lightfoot basically says, no, this contract is done. You guys got a huge raise, um, and we don't have the money to do this, but we will figure out a way to open up uh, classrooms safely. But they have continued to be kind of a progressive foil to the mayor, teaming up with groups like United Working Families and a lot of the aldermen that are members of the Democratic Socialists of America to push Lightfoot Um, from the leftward flank, saying she's not doing enough for working people. She's not doing enough for working people. Uh, And I think they're going to continue being that foil. And the mayor kind of enjoys having a foil. She can always point to um, any organizing against her as, you know, this is something the CTU is pushing.
1: Well, I want to turn now to a story that unfolded late last year. Former Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson was fired just weeks before he was set to retire. Let's listen. Eddie
2: Johnson engaged in conduct that is not only unbecoming, but demonstrated a series of ethical lapses and flawed decision-making that is inconsistent with having the privilege of leading the Chicago Police Department. Claudia, really quickly, what happened here?
0: The days are kind of all blending together, but I believe it was last fall when he had essentially said that he had a couple of drinks and then uh, drove home, and then she said that he lied to her, and it turned out that, you know he was also with a subordinate a woman that you know he was kind of dating and um she fired him immediately originally he was gonna retire and she was gonna let him retire and leave on good graces and suddenly she just said you know he's out and you know he's now on the city's uh do not hire list and then uh immediately after she uh hired an interim um police superintendent uh the former Los Angeles Police Department uh, Chief Charlie Beck. And then he has just been recently replaced by uh, the former police chief of Dallas. So, you know, she's only in her first year and already has cycled through um, three police superintendents. And it will be interesting to see, you know, with the summer coming up, how Brown handles, you know, the looming summer, you know, where historically, you know, violence has been at its highest.
1: And if you want to listen back to a Reset's conversation with the new superintendent, David Brown, just go over to org slash Reset. A.D., as we wrap up here, what will you be following in the coming weeks and months ahead as Mayor Lightfoot grapples with Chicago's budget and, and other big challenges this summer?
3: Yeah, I'll absolutely be watching uh, her budget. We usually see the city, the city finance team develop at least a, a broad outline of what things will look like around june or july i'm also watching to see if the city gets anything out of springfield in this abbreviated session that we're supposed to have at the end of the month um, the chicago casino proposal seems like it's on ice um, after that big capital bill passed in june uh, we remember a feasibility report prepared for the state basically said the tax structure made it too costly for any operator to get up and running i'll be uh, anxious to see if they figure out a solution and i'm also excited to see how she deals with this shifting majority on council um, a more progressive left some detractors that we'd consider old school Democratic guard and whether Alderman Ed Burke helps coach some of these younger folks on council procedure and figures out ways to outmaneuver her prosecutorial side. It should be an exciting year.
1: All right, Claudia, you get the last word here. What are some of the biggest challenges the mayor will have to face in the coming weeks and months?
3: Well, definitely
0: uh, the looming budget gap in the city pensions. uh, You know, 2021 and 22 were already expected to be pretty rough years because that's you know when the city will have to start paying significantly more for pensions you know they'll they'll essentially have to be paying you know what is owed, not uh, some arbitrary multiplier. Another issue is the police contract uh, you know now that uh, the police union has a new leader, uh, John Catanzara, you know, who is very different from the the last two police superintendents and i mean sorry, police union presidents. <laughs> And you know the police contract is the most expensive city contract, and you know it's already i think we're going on four or five years late and so you know balancing uh those issues with you know the lost revenue i mean seeing you know what's gonna happen with the city airports O'Hare is you know one of the largest airports in the world, and you know now that travel is essentially at a standstill i'll I'll be very interested to see you know how the city is going to find ways to fill in that lost revenue.
1: We'll have to leave it there. That's WBEC's Claudia Morrell and A.D. Quig of Crane Chicago Business. Claudia, A.D., thanks for speaking with us.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you.
1: And that's today's Reset. For the latest and most accurate news on the COVID-19 crisis, tune to 91.5, go to WBEZ.org, or tell your smart speaker to play WBEZ. I'm Jen White. Hang in there. The sun will come out eventually. Let's talk again soon.